0: All right, Overlake, well listen, Valentine's Day, 24 hours away. Gentlemen, you've had your warning, uh, so make it good. Um, honestly, uh, just want to have a little fun with that. Uh, please uh, grab your notes, if you would, out of your handout. We want to conclude a series today on heaven. And uh, we honestly, I've had a blast uh, going through the study and the prep uh, of this series, and I, I trust that you've had some fun as we have taken a look at what it is that God has in store for us. If you've missed our messages, they're available online, but it's, it's been really fun to take a look at how God has a... A resurrected you in mind. A redeemed and glorified you and, and everything in the universe restored and reclaimed for his glory and it's gonna be incredible. It's gonna be really, really good and we're very, very excited about that. And uh, so I want to start with just a chunk of scripture. In fact, you'll notice a lot of scripture on today's outline. I, I don't know that we'll get through all of it today. My guys were joking with me. Pastor Mike, you figured out how to put the entire Bible on a half sheet of paper. That's nice. Um, we're going to go through a lot of this, but the, but the point is... There is always more to talk about. The scripture uh, reveals so much about our eternal home. We're very, very excited about it, so there's a lot to delve into. Today's message is called Time for a Little R&R. And I hope you know by r and R I mean reward and reign. That's what we're talking about today. Reward and reign, and those are the things that God has in mind for us. But here's what it says uh, in 2 Peter 3, verse 3 and following... It says, most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come, mocking the truth and following their own desires. They'll say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? For before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about His promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live, looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. On that day, He will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth that He has promised, a world filled with God's righteousness." So the scripture's clear, and and we know that there's even argumentation today. How could Jesus be coming again? It's been 2,000 years since he came the first time, and the argument is simply this, that God is being patient, that God's heart is a heart of love, is a heart of grace. He wants everyone to come to repentance, to come to an understanding of his love, and to say yes to his invitation to be with him, not only in this life, but in the life to come. And then it talks about us um, looking forward to that day of the Lord, and and Peter talks about how everything will be, uh, you know, you know, God's going to fire it up, right? Like everything's going to be purified with fire. And again, if you want to kind of think about how the Bible works symbolically, systematically... ...you recognize that in Genesis, God purified the earth through water. And in the day of the Lord, He will purify all things through fire. And then through that purification process, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And we will have new and glorified bodies enjoying that experience with God... And it's interesting to note that whether you're talking about the book of Psalms or Isaiah or Daniel or whether you're looking in the New Testament at the words of Jesus or Peter or Paul or even in the book of Revelation, the Apostle John, the language that's used in the Scripture is consistent throughout. That uh, God really has given us a very interesting and cool revelation of the life to come. And so I want to encourage you today to imagine what it will be like When you walk that road and you enter into the gates of the new Jerusalem... And you're walking along that golden path, and you just experience the city of God as you enter it. And there is a great multitude present at the gates, and they're cheering, and they're yelling, and they're chanting. And, and you wonder, what's all the fuss about? Why are they so excited? Maybe you're walking in in front of Billy Graham or something. You turn around, no, he's not there. And it's you that they're cheering for, and you see your name on the banners, and, and they're chanting your name excited about your arrival and you can barely take it in. You can barely take in the splendor of the city or the vibrancy or the the colors or the noise of myriad voices who all seem to know you and celebrate your arrival. And in the midst of that confusion, you see Jesus Christ step forward and he puts his hands on your shoulders and he looks you in the eye and he knows every struggle you've ever had. And he knows every failure you've ever endured, and he knows every success that you've ever enjoyed. And he looks at your eyes, and it's filled with love. And his grace just overwhelms you in that moment as he says to you, Well done, good and faithful servant. Friend, I want to tell you that that's all the reward I'm looking forward to that is enough. Like a knucklehead like me experiencing a glorious moment like that. That's all I'm shooting for, right? That's a beautiful picture. But I want you to understand that the scripture actually says there's more than that. Jesus actually talks about the reality of there being reward even on top of that glorious experience. And so if you're filling in the blanks, please fill in this blank. That we will be rewarded in eternity, The gospel calls us to witness to the grace that we receive in Jesus and that we're motivated to use all of our talents, all of our gifts, all of our resources to put our great God on display. And when we do that, the scripture says that we will receive the appropriate rewards bestowed on us from our Father in heaven. Now, our primary motivation for living out this Christian life should be simply in response to the kindness that God has shown us. The grace that he's poured out on us, the love that we've received from him, the blessings that he's given us. We are motivated just to respond to his grace by sharing all that with others. But the scripture does talk about how that rewards can fuel our faith and our service today. And what the Bible talks about is that both believers and non-believers will face a final judgment. Now, if you're here and you're a believer, you've said yes to a relationship of love with Jesus, you need to understand that that final judgment that you will experience will be different than a non-believer. And if you're a non-believer here, you really are so welcome here. I want to really carefully kind of walk through what it is that the invitation means for you. But for a believer, you need to understand that that final judgment, it's not going to be whether or not you get to go to heaven or you have to go to hell. The final judgment is, what were your deeds like? How did you live? And is there merit that's going to follow you into eternity so that you can be rewarded? See, in Romans chapter 14, verse 10, you can look that up later, we are assured that we will have to give an account of our lives to the Lord. And in 2 Corinthians five ten, we read, For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we've done in this earthly body. And it's important to recognize, again, I want to talk to believers for just a moment. It's important to recognize that this is not a judgment of salvation. It's merely a judgment of our works. How did we live? And Paul talks about this in greater detail in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11 and following. He says, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. In other words, Jesus is the source of grace. Jesus is God's love revealed. It's through Jesus that we get to have eternity with him. But he goes on. He says, "...anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward." But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. Okay, what does that mean? It means that in our life, on your faith journey, you're a builder. And you're building with the way that you live. You're building through your deeds, through your actions, even through your motivations. And what you're building, you're building, if you're a believer, on the foundation of Jesus, okay? And and you're building a legacy. You're building a reputation. You're building a witness, right? You're you're building um, in order to glorify God with your motivation. You're building from a a framework of selflessness, right? All those things are beautiful that you're building on the foundation of Jesus. And the Bible says all those things are going to follow you into eternity, But friends, we can also agree in humility that we build with much less pure motivation, right? And there are many times when we build selfishly, and we build uh, in vanity, or we build in shallowness, pettiness, right? There's an entire entertainment industry that that I'm pretty sure has very little value, right, for eternity, and so we recognize that that there are all sorts of things we pursue, we build. Now the Bible says that they're going to be purified with fire just like all the universe will be. And and if it's worthless stuff that we've built our lives on uh, or or built on the foundation of Jesus, it's going to be burnt up. Right? And and you will escape, but it'll be it says as if through the flames, right? You'll you'll come in, you'll be patting out the flame, you're putting it out on your butt like sitting on the water. You're going to get in if you're a believer but your works are going to be burnt up if they're not pure, if they're not for the glory of God. And Overlake, what I want is I want to challenge us to live in such a way that what we build will stand and will mean reward for you and for me. So our works don't affect our salvation, but they do affect our reward. Rewards are conditional. They're dependent on our faithfulness, our selflessness, and our desire to bring God glory. Jesus actually says that if we have impure motives we can lose our reward for specific actions. If you do something in this life so that you'll um you'll be made much of, so that your name will be mentioned, uh, so that other people will will honor you in the here and now, then Jesus says, well you lose your reward in heaven because that's that's your reward. Right? But if you do things with a pure heart, if you do things in such a way that nobody sees the kind service that you're doing, nobody understands that it's you who gave that that financial gift or blessing, then those are the things that God delights to reward you for. In other words, I want to tell you that the coming judgment should motivate us to live spiritually full and fruitful lives. Because you will get rewarded for everything. This is a ton better than that cashback program that REI has, okay? Uh, This reward will last forever. And the doctrine of eternal rewards hinges on the fact that specific acts of faithfulness done on earth survive the believer's judgment and are brought into heaven with us. In Revelation 19, verse 7, it says, Let us rejoice and be glad, and let us give honor to Him, to Jesus. For the time has come... For the wedding feast of the Lamb, and His bride has prepared herself. The church is His bride, so we're preparing ourselves. It says, she has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear. Now check this out. For the, the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. Think about that for a moment. The good deeds that you do, God's holy people, the good deeds that we do, we are literally adorning the bride of Christ. So friends, let's, let's dress her up well, right? Let's give her beautiful clothes to wear and recognize that we are presenting the bride of Christ to him on that last day. And it's our good works and the works done for God's kingdom that clothe her beautifully. In Revelation fourteen thirteen, we see that our righteous deeds will not be forgotten, but will follow us into eternity. And we will receive treasure in heaven where we will be perpetually reminded of our life on earth because it's what we do on this earth that will earn us those rewards in heaven. In other words, if you're filling in the blanks, what we do in this life matters for eternity. What we do, how we spend our time, how we spend our money, how we share our love, how we communicate God's grace, it all matters for eternity. So we ought to go about our lives treating each aspect of our days as an opportunity to demonstrate the kingdom of God. We can herald the kingdom of God by our actions. We can announce the arrival of the kingdom of God with our words. And we can reveal the graceful kingdom of God by the way that we communicate and serve uh, one another with the love of Jesus. So, all of these acts of service that we do, they count, they matter. God watches them. And I just want to say this because some of you are incredibly good at serving. You're incredibly kind with the way that you uh, meet needs. You're incredibly gracious or generous, and you feel like nobody's watching those acts of kindness. You, You feel like you're not getting any accolades in the here and now. And I just want to say to you, friends, I, I recognize that in this fallen world, uh, you might go through seasons where all you do is serve and, and nobody is cheering you on. Nobody is making much of you. But I want you to, to know God sees everything. He sees every act of kindness. There's not a, a single moment where you're serving another person. Not a single moment where you're serving a child. Not a single moment where where you're just towing the line and doing what you're supposed to do. Being responsible, keeping your promises, living with integrity. That God doesn't see what you're doing and plan a reward for you for that act in eternity. See, God is watching. God is keeping track. He's, he's keeping us uh, to account. And in heaven, he will reward us for our acts of faithfulness. Even down, the Bible says, to a cup of cold water. That's offered, or um, the idea of bringing clean water to those who don't have access to it. Jesus says in Mark nine forty one, "If anyone gives you even a cup of water because you belong to the Messiah, I tell you the truth, that person will surely be rewarded." Randy Alcorn wrote a book called The Treasure Principle. And in The Treasure Principle, he bases the entire book on the promise that we cannot take our resources with us when we die. But, he argues, we can send it on ahead to eternity. And this is what he says. He says, Do you wish you cared more about eternal things than reallocate some of your money, maybe most of your money, from temporal things toward eternal things? Now, what he's saying is exactly what Jesus Christ said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Jesus says, "...don't store of treasures here on earth, where moths eat them and rust destroys them, where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven, where moths and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be." In other words, you can't take it with you, friends. But you can send it on ahead. You can't take it with you. We have such a limited time here on planet earth. I just this morning in between services heard the story. Yesterday morning a 29-year-old athlete was found dead in his bed. Doctors don't understand why. It breaks my heart because I know this family and I know their story. And I know that uh, it's been fraught with grief and here's one more one more story of grief one more life taken before right out of the prime of its life and 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 yet i understand that you cannot determine your days you cannot take it with you that that this time that we have is it's so short it's so temporary but friends we can store our treasures in heaven and we can send them on ahead and Jesus says in Luke 12, 33, Sell your possessions and give to those in need. This will store up treasure for you in heaven. And the purses of heaven never grow old or develop holes. I love that picture, right? Like, like nothing's going to fall out. The, the, the coins won't fall out. The dentine that you keep in your purse, like it will all be there forever, right? Because it's in heaven. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it and no moth can destroy it. And in the margin of my Bible, I, as I was reading that passage, I wrote down these words. This is a risk-free investment. Right? Every, everyone today, especially with the craziness of the last couple years in our economy, we're all looking for a risk-free investment in this life, and there is none. Except for this one. Risk-free investment, and then underneath it I wrote, huge dividends. Huge dividends. Because the payout isn't just for this life. It's for the life to come. And when Paul was speaking to the Philippians, he says to them, not that I'm looking for a gift. He says, I'm looking for what might be credited to your account. This is in Philippians 4.17. What's he saying? He's telling us that God keeps an open account. That God is the ledger. He's, He's the bookkeeper for us in eternity. And God watches everything. And every gift given for his glory is a deposit in our eternal account. So when you give or serve, God is blessed, you're blessed, others are blessed, God's kingdom is revealed, and you're going to be rewarded eternally. And that's a huge dividend. That's win across the board. And in Luke 14, 12, Jesus tells us to give to the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. And then he says, although they can't repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So if we give to those who cannot reward us, Jesus says, I will repay you myself in eternity. Isn't that an amazing promise? Jesus himself rewarding us in heaven. Now, some of you, this is the first time you've ever thought about the idea of rewards in heaven. And so you're wondering, well, wait a second, Pastor Mike. Is it wrong to be motivated by rewards in heaven? And I would simply answer, it can't be wrong to be motivated by rewards in heaven because Jesus himself gave us the picture of us being rewarded in heaven. And so, no, he wants that to be a holy motivation for us to live in such a way that we're selfless, that we're faithful, that we're living for God's glory. Rewards are his idea, okay? And you're thinking, you know what, heaven's enough. That's what I'm thinking as well. Jesus is the one who says, no, there's more. The next question I get is, um, will we be jealous of other people's rewards? That's a good question, right? You're thinking, I know myself. I know my life, right? And I know, I know this other person, and I have a feeling that I'm going to get there, and I'm going to have a little pile. And they're going to get there, and they're going to have a big pile. And I'm just wondering, am I going to be jealous for them? I mean, is it going to be like heaven when I, you know, when I look at my, you know, my stack's small, their stack big. Is, is that heaven... And, and the answer is, you have to go back a couple of messages. We talked about how you will be glorified in eternity, and how your desires will be glorified, your mental processes will be glorified. And so what I mean by that is, there will be no coveting in heaven, there will be no jealousy in heaven, there will be no greed in heaven, no sense of hoarding it all to yourself, not sharing... Uh, I I don't exactly know what these rewards that Jesus talks about will be. All I know is that when you look at another person's reward, you're going to see their rewards and it's going to cause you to glorify God. And when they look at your life and they see your rewards, it's going to cause them to glorify God because we will be glorified and we will be perfect. And there'll be no sense of comparison or wishing you had what they have. Now, I do think that there's an interesting phrase in Revelation 21 where it says that when we enter into heaven, that Jesus will wipe every tear from our eyes. And I've always thought that was interesting. Why are we all crying when we get into heaven? And I wonder if it's because in that moment, God gives us just a snapshot of absolute clarity where we suddenly see that we could have lived our lives in such a way that we brought the kingdom with us. That we could have invested our resources in such a way, we could have used our time in such a way, we could have shared our love in such a way that the kingdom of God was brought with us, and and we would have seen what we would have been rewarded with uh, because of that investment, and we're just stricken in a moment, like Oscar Schindler at the end of Schindler's List. If you remember that great movie where he's brought the this group of of Jews um, through this Nazi persecution in Germany, and and he ended up uh, having to purchase them for his factory, but he kept them all alive through this horrific war, World War II. And at the end of it all, when the war's over, he's he's being urged to flee by his friends now, these these his Jewish companions, and they urge him to flee and and. And as he's going out, he suddenly realizes, you know, my watch. I could have sold my watch, and I, I would have kept one more alive. My car. I could, I could have sold my car, and I would have kept five more alive. And suddenly it just reveals to him. Now that the, the horror of war is over, he sees even a, a deeper glimpse about how he could have invested in saving lives. And I wonder if that's going to be the picture that we get. And then we walk into heaven, we see, oh... We we could have done this. We could have been this generous. We could have been this kind. We could have brought the kingdom, but we didn't. And then Jesus is going to wipe those tears from our eyes. And his grace is going to overwhelm us. And his love is going to envelop us. And we're entered into eternity with him. I want to show you a video. And to me, it's an incredible picture of reward. There's this African man. And when he was a boy, he, was, um, he became a part of the Compassion Child Sponsorship Program in Africa. And so as a four-year-old, he was cared for uh, by being sponsored. And I know many of you, through World Vision or Compassion or some other organization, you sponsor children overseas. Well, this is a video clip of him as an adult now. And he is, um, he's actually schooling here in the States. He's preparing to be a pastor. He's finishing seminary. And he's uh, sponsoring a child himself. And and I'd love for you to see this video and and just think about the picture of reward that God has for us. I just love that picture. I mean, the the man can't even talk. He's just weeping. He's just so thankful that that man, at 20 years old, and a Canadian, no less... (laughs) because of Jesus Christ would begin to sponsor his life. You know, what's amazing about it is the Canadian, Mark, right? He's he's just saying, it was just 20 bucks a month. That's That's all it cost me. But it absolutely changed the trajectory of his life. Friends, isn't that a beautiful picture of reward? See, I don't know exactly what the reward is going to look like. But I imagine it's going to look a whole lot like that. And you're going to see the impact of your life. Because everything you do matters. Every kindness that you offer matters. Every generosity that you give to bless God's kingdom or to bless somebody else, it matters. It matters not only in this life, but it matters for eternity. And Jesus is the one who talks about, um, he, ge- he gives a parable of the, the servants. There are three servants, he says. And there's a master of these servants. The master is going to go away. So he gives each of these servants um, some money to invest. He gives them bags of silver. And and two out of the three servants, they take that as an opportunity and they invest that silver wisely. And then when the master returns, they have not only the original investment, but they have a return on the investment to offer the master. The third one doesn't. But those two servants who invest well, the master is very pleased with them. And Jesus tells us that story so that we'll understand. We have been given so much to invest. We've been given time. We've been given resources. We've been given relationships. All of these are gifts from the Master to us so that we would invest them wisely, so that there'd be a return on our investment. And in Matthew 25, 20... Jesus is finishing this parable. He says, The servant to whom he had entrusted five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest. I've earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. And Jesus is telling us this story so that we understand that our reward we'll receive is based upon what our investment in this life looks like. And that there will be reward offered. And even in Luke, uh, when Jesus recounts this parable, um, he says that your reward will be you will govern cities and as many cities Uh, You'll govern as bags of uh, silver that you were able to offer me as return on your investment. There's a link between our investment, what we see, you know, return in terms of how we serve today. And then Paul says in 2 Timothy 4.8, And now the prize awaits me. The crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. I'd love to have you circle two words. The first word is prize. And now the prize awaits me. Circle the word prize. And then the second word is crown. Circle the word crown. The crown of righteousness. And this is a great transition word because you see prize is A reference to a reward that we receive. Crown is a reference to the fact that we will be given authority as well. And that we will reign with Jesus in eternity. In fact, that's the next fill-in. That in eternity, we will reign with Jesus. And one of the things I've really been struck with as I've studied and and, uh, gone through Scripture regarding this topic of eternity... Is that in the book of Revelation, we see a culmination of history, but also a restoration of so many of the things that God had in mind for us in the book of Genesis, which is way back in the beginning. And so the last book of Scripture really is in so many ways a mirroring of the first book in Scripture where we see God creating all of this universe and the Garden of Eden and and all of the way in which he designated that life for Adam and Eve, we now see resurrected and restored in the book of Revelation. But when we talk about reigning, you really can go back to the book of Genesis and see what was God's original plan. And in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, it said, Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and the animals that scurry along the ground. The point is that humans were designed by God to rule the earth, to providentially have authority over it, to govern it well, to steward it with graciousness. And we've lost that ability to rule the earth as God originally intended, when Adam and Eve chose sin, and it sent humanity spiraling away from God. But it all will be restored on that new day, the day of the Lord. As we read in Daniel chapter 7, verse 27, Then, on that day, the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be given to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will last forever, and all rulers will serve ...and obey Him. And as Jesus Himself says in Matthew 5, 5... ...God blesses those who are humble... ...for they they will inherit the whole earth. Some of you are more familiar with the King James Version... ...in which we read... ...the meek shall inherit the earth. But this is a part of God's original plan... ...for us to recognize that we will reign with God... ...with authority conferred under His authority... But that God wants us to recognize not only the reward element of eternity, but the reigning element as well. God designs leadership and authority to be carried out as a means of protecting and serving those who are being led. And in this life, what we see is a great brokenness in terms of leadership, do we not? We see one temptation of leadership is for the leader the one with authority, he orchestrates uh, things in such a way and uses his power so that instead of serving those under his authority, he is served by them. And we see this in all kinds of despots and dictators, and we just the history is littered with that temptation of leadership and authority. But we also see another kind of temptation with leadership and authority, and it's at the opposite end of the spectrum, It's that we see authority abdicated, we see responsibility shirked, we see people afraid to step into God-given roles of authority where they would rule and govern graciously and kindly, and so we see a great, if you will, an abdication. And so often we see that both of these things are realities in this life. But friends, God has a a better plan. God wants to give us responsibility to lead, to serve, and to protect what God has entrusted to us. Now... The Apostle Paul talks about this. He talks about the positions that we will be uh, in terms of our authority, uh, the positions of judgment that we'll have. In fact, he refers to these positions almost like theology 101, like they're just basic entry-level truths. Well, I would tell you, I don't think they're basic or entry-level. But the Scripture says in 1 Corinthians 6, 2, don't you realize that someday we believers will judge the world? Don't you realize that we will judge angels? And I read that, I get afraid, because I look at Christians and their judgment, I think, that's not too sharp right now, right? God, There's got to be a work that God does, right? This restoration, this glorification, and He will. But friends, it's also very encouraging to me to know that we will live with good purpose, with meaningful work in our eternal home. Can you imagine responsibility, service, and leadership that will be pure joy, to you and to those under your authority. The responsibility that God will entrust to us as a reward will be good for all and we will all find delight in it. We'll rule on this new earth under a new heaven and we'll be enabled uh, to equip and guide and to offer wisdom and encouragement to those who are under our authority. So we've seen leadership twisted so much that it's hard for us to imagine this concept. But friends, the the recognition is that God will, he'll resurrect leadership as well. And we'll see that in a perfected and a glorified state in eternity. Now, today, in the book of Colossians, we're called by Paul to do everything for the glory of God. Because you've tasted grace poured out on your life, you're to offer that grace to others. Because you've been blessed by God richly, you're to offer those blessings to others. And and we simply recognize that it's that truth that we respond to God's love for us by loving one another. That should be the motivation of our lives so that we bring glory and honor to Him. But please understand that Jesus will call us to lead. He will call us to reign with Him and offer to us the thrones so briefly held by Adam and Eve. In fact, he says in Luke twelve don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. And I'd love to have you circle the phrase great happiness only because you need to see that God himself is not a begrudging Lord, uh, sort of ceding authority to us. He's not hesitant to do so. It gives him great pleasure and great happiness to reign and to rule a new heaven and a new earth with us. So, I want to shift focus for a moment and say that as we wrap up this series, we need to note a couple of things. One, we've, we've come against a sort of a, a cultural view of heaven, uh, what I would call a traditional agnostic view of heaven and what it's like and how we get there. And what that traditional view, sort of the cultural view kind of looks like, is that if you're a good person, if you're, in fact, not even a good person, if you're a good-ish person, okay, uh, and, and you do more good things than bad things, more kind things than rude things, that when this life is over, the default is you'll just be there. And heaven, again, this cultural view is just that... Uh, You'll have everything you want, and you'll have everything you need, and you won't, you won't have really any need for anybody else or anything else, and it'll be good, and God, if he's there at all, will be kind of a side figure. And what I hope over the course of these last three weeks has been revealed is that that's not at all the reality. First off, heaven's not just the default mode. The invitation is laid on the table. Jesus wants everyone to come and be a part of eternity with him. But it's not the default. And the second thing I want you to see is that God's not the sideline. God's not diminutive. God's front and center. And if you want to go to heaven without God, it's probably not heaven you're thinking about. And so this picture of you having all of your needs met and not needing anyone else and not needing God, certainly, I hope you understand that that's a a picture that is ultimately eternally self-focused. And the universe in which one dwells in that state is a very small universe that has room for only one person, the God of that universe, you. And that that's not a picture of heaven at all. It's a picture of hell. And that ultimately, God says, if that's what you want, your will be done. And if you choose that life separated from God, then God will cede it to you eternally. But friends, that's, that's not the picture that we see in Scripture. That's not what God wants. Now, Jesus loves you. And Jesus, he pursues you. And Jesus calls you. And I, I would just hate it so badly. If over these three weeks, we've talked about heaven each and every week. We've talked about eternity. And you've been here and you have not taken an opportunity to say yes to Jesus Christ. See, Jesus, he left heaven. And he left the Father's right hand and he came to earth and he lived in poverty in this life. And he walked in integrity in this life. And he brought the kingdom with him, and he offered kindness, and he brought grace, and he made the kingdom manifest in this fallen world. And then he went to the cross. And at the cross, he was beaten, and he was spat upon, and he was mocked, he was flogged, his flesh was ripped open, he was hammered to a cross with nails. And they put a sign above his head. It said, behold, the king of the Jews. But they said it as a joke. And he was raised up on that cross. And he died on that cross for sin. But not for his own sin. Jesus never sinned. No, he, he died that death for your sin. And for my sin. He never sinned. I sin all the time. And so Jesus Christ died on the cross so that the full wrath of God on sin would be spent upon that act, upon that cross. And that whosoever believes in him, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the promise of scripture. That's the invitation of heaven. And I just want to give every single person an opportunity right now where you're sitting. To everyone who's listening to my voice, I I want to give you the opportunity to say yes to Jesus right now. To settle the question of your eternity today. Because you can settle it. By saying yes to Jesus. By believing in the work that he accomplished on the cross. By believing that he rose again from the dead. Not only proving that he was who he said he was. God in the flesh, but that by that resurrection, he was the very first to open up the door of the resurrection that all of us will enjoy at some, some point in time. So I want to give you this opportunity. I recognize that we've talked about heaven, and for some of us, we go, so what does it mean for us today? We look ahead, we look to eternity, what does it mean for us today? And today, I would simply tell you that this scripture holds true, 2 Corinthians 5, 9. It says, whether we're here in this body, in other words, in this life, on this earth, or whether we're away from this body, whether we've died and entered to eternity, our goal, is to please Him. And you can circle that, you can underline that, you can memorize that. Our goal does not change. Whether we're here, whether we're in eternity, our goal is to please our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so I would just say, friends, you track with me today, you've tracked with me for the last couple of weeks, in light of heaven, how amazing this place is that God has prepared for us. Doesn't it make sense that we would live as invitationally as possible? I mean, doesn't it make sense that we would share Christ's love with as many people as possible? That we would bring our kindness and and our A-game as much as possible. That we would be giving, that we would be generous, that we would be serving, that we would be fueled by God's Spirit and committed to God's movement and inspired by God's Word and faithful to God's call. I mean, doesn't that make sense? Because you know, with this view of heaven, that one day we will enjoy our renewed bodies and our redeemed minds that we will be in a restored universe where we will be rewarded for our good deeds and we will reign with our resurrected Savior forever and ever. Friends, I just give this as a caveat, a disclaimer, because I know, I listen to myself online every once in a while. It's a painful experience, but I do. I try to get better. And I know sort of my limits as a communicator. I spent three weeks talking about heaven. And I simply want you to understand that no matter how good or well-placed or articulate my words might be, and no matter how God has worked in your mind and imagination to give you a vision of the reality of heaven, I want you to understand that as good as we can think it, and as good as we can talk it, and as good as we can imagine it, the reality of heaven is infinitely better still. It is so good what God has invited us into. It is so amazing. And so I want to close with these words from Scripture. Again, the Apostle Paul quotes these in First Corinthians 2.9. He says, that's what the Scriptures mean when they say, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. It's going to be really good. Really, really good. And I want to encourage you not to miss heaven. So why don't we do this? Why don't we pray together? And I want to give everybody an opportunity to respond to Jesus today. So if you're here, you're already a follower of Jesus, this is an opportunity for you. And if you're here and you just, you wandered in, God God kind of brought you in, you're not sure why you said yes to your girlfriend's invitation to come today, and we're talking about raining, and you're like, dude, I'm not even a manager at the Blockbuster, how do you mean raining?" you know, and here's the deal, God loves you, Jesus loves you so much that he died on the cross, he went through hell, so you'd never have to go, and the invitation is on the table, would you say yes to it today? Let's pray together. Jesus, I want to say thank you for the way in which you love us. How practical, how tangible, how real your love is for us. I want to say thank you for the fact that you could have left us in our sin. You, you could have left us all alone. You know that we've messed it up so much. That we've chosen ourself, our own agenda, our pride... We've chosen our pleasure so much, Lord. And yet, Jesus, you are the one who graces us with love. You're the one who graces us with forgiveness. And then you grace us with eternity. And we just want to say thank you for that. Right now, I just ask, Lord, that you, by the power of your Spirit, would work in all of our hearts. And let us say yes to you. Whether a person is here and been following you for 50, 60, 70 years where a person's here, and this is the very first time they've ever thought about eternity, my prayer right now is that you would allow us to say yes to you. That we would just say, in the privacy of our hearts, in the certainty of our convictions, that we would say, we believe that you are Jesus Christ, that you paid the penalty for our sin, that you rose again from the dead, And that you're preparing a place even now for us in eternity. And we say yes to you. Yes, Jesus. Please allow that vision of eternity to fuel us and to motivate us today. In the here and now. Let us live with the prayer, your kingdom come on our lips. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.